tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Missing Medic, Killer Casanova, and the Vancouver Lights. Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Uh, Robbie, we are doing something we haven't done in a very long time, which is we are doing a night, night cast. Now that you mention it, it has been a while since we recorded an episode at night. And I just cracked open a White Claw. And I am drinking a Dr. Pepper. What, um, what is a Night Claw? White claw. A white claw. Oh. We went over this the last time we recorded. Oh, sorry. Sorry. It's it's okay. It's a hard seltzer. Mm. It's got a little bit of a fruit flavor to it. Sounds Remember I don't I don't like black cherry Ch- flavored things and I was drinking one of those. Yeah, you don't like black cherry things. That's weird. No, I don't. I don't like that. So I got a ruby grapefruit one this time. Okay. Hey, why are we recording at night? That's right, because you had a uh, thing to do. Yes, I a, attended a function put on by a political party that will remain nameless. Uh, that's that we're, we're we're still going with the politics neutral thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, except except when I'm ruining our chances to appear on other Unsolved Mysteries podcasts as guests by sharing pictures of my (laughs) political scrapbook. (laughs) I think what people need to understand about you is that you have a weird thing for candidates that did not win an election. I have yet to vote for someone who has actually managed to become president. (laughs) So there you have it, folks. Um, and that, and I believe that extends to both sides now. I mean, I, I know yeah. that you're lining up with uh, for this round, and I think the odds might be kind of slim. I hate to tell you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it the old Robbie try. I know that's what I love about you. You and your your John Huntsman. And what was was John Huntsman? John, what did John Huntsman? John Huntsman get slapped over. John Huntsman had a paid yet. John Huntsman did have a page in that that book, as did Richard yeah. Luger. God damn it! Well, Robbie, um, I was going to use this opportunity to talk about how recently at work, excuse me, recently at work, I uh, uh, for a task I was doing, I had some information from the LA County Registrar's Office and. Part of that information was a long list, uh, p- several pages long, of every single uh, political party in L.A. County um, and the abbreviations that go go would go with that if you were going to like collect some data on that party. Um, some of the ones that were interesting to me is that there is a beer party. Um, not, not quite my scene, but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, lame, right? Yeah. There's a weed party, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, when we dug a little deeper in the list, there's a meth party. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, there was also a birthday party. <laughs> uh, and uh, there was also the Ku Klux Klan was a party that you could select. Oh, my God. So, anyway, but it was it was several pages long. 
I, I and that's all I can remember because I tried to look it up online. I couldn't find it anywhere, and now people are just gonna think I'm making shit up. Was there a surprise party? Oh, I think there definitely was. Like anything that could be a party was a political party. <laughs> the re- like there was like a beach party, a retirement a, party. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, there was a. Uh, What's another kind of party you can have? Um, retirement, birthday, and aniv- no, you don't really have parties for anniversaries. You can have a bar mitzvah party. A bar mitzvah party? Oh man, yeah. that that sounds like it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I guess maybe. I, I, yeah. <laughs> you, Who knows? Your bar your bar mitzvah did not go so well. My bar mitzvah, I didn't have one. Oh yeah, I didn't have one. Oh no. yeah, yeah, and for a number of reasons. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I sure, uh, I sure hope the people listening are really enjoying this uh, opening. I didn't have a quinceanera either for multiple reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I, r- really? Uh, did no, I did not. Did not have a quinceanera. Well, I wanted to throw myself one, like now as an adult. Um, you know, just a really over the top party where I change into like huge dresses like mm-hmm. four times and and just get everyone super drunk and have several bands and uh and I just uh, now that I'm a little older it just kind of feels like appropriation and I just didn't feel right about it. Okay. So if anyone uh, can chime in and say it's okay for me to have one, though, I'll take that as permission. Well, why didn't you have one originally? Was it because it fell during Ramadan or something? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, we were fasting <laughs> um, from dawn till dusk, so we mm. could not. Uh, oh. We couldn't have a quinceanera around my uh, birthday. Okay. Of that year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know i think people actually enjoy these goofball openings we've been doing recently i think they do too i mean at least they haven't complained about it i think uh, i think someone was complimenting us actually on one of the facebook's on one of the facebook's (laughs) yeah excellent excellent um well yeah do you want to talk about unsolved mysteries you want to talk about season three, episode 13 of Unsolved Mysteries? And this takes us back to Vietnam. Yeah, I'm super not sick of talking about the Vietnam War. At least they didn't have, like, how did you describe it? Ching Chongy music? Yeah, they avoided that this time. Yeah, yeah there was something in season. Well, I called it Asian spa music because Ching Chongy music sounds awful. But that's only because it is. Um, How come you used it, though, in that episode? Are, are you just, like, you weren't as woke back in season one? No, or? it's just, like, it's just, like, this stereotypical, like, clinky Asian music that you, that, you know, non-Asian producers put into any segment or story about anything happening in Asia. Oh, yeah, totally. Anywhere. Totally. It's kind of like, we've had a couple of segments related to native americans now right that have used like flute music and pan flutes flutes. yeah god damn pan pan flutes i mean it's the same it's the same thing right but i feel like i feel like pan pan flutes or ocarinas and that kind of music is is uh, maybe slightly more acceptable because the here's the thing like this clinky music 
I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what to call it, but you guys know what I'm talking about. It's used irrespective of what part of Asia we're even talking about. And it feels right. to me like the mu- musical equivalent of Mickey Rooney's character in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, man. that's uh, that's. Do you know what I'm saying? No, I'd say that's an excellent metaphor. A really great movie, except for the extremely problematic <laughs> character played by Mickey Rooney. So, but if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. So, so problematic. It's so bad. It's like, I don't even know why they put it in the movie. I feel like it was probably problematic in 1965 or 66, whenever that movie came out. There's no way that was okay back then, even. Yeah, this was like around the same time uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner came out, right? No, exactly. (laughs) But I don't know. I feel like... um, you know, there's there's a uh, certain racism's dropping in and out of fashion. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And I feel like the maybe the one that has persi- persisted, and I'm glad to see that people are saying it's not okay now. Finally, um, I think you know there's been a lot of uh, people have gotten away with stereotyping and being racist against Asian Americans and for for a lot longer than they should have been doing it. And I, th- you know. Right. No, yeah, totally. Not that there was a good time that they should have been doing it. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just... It just seemed to have lasted and persisted a lot longer than other things that which became not okay to say or talk about. Yeah, yeah. So, back to the Vietnam War. Yes. Okay, so Mark Dennis was a, a corpsman in the Navy? Um, mm-hmm. And he was... The, yeah, it was, he, it was the Navy. Yes, he actually volunteered to go to Vietnam so that someone who had a family would not be sent in like his in his place, which is uh, very noble of him. Uh, yeah, he was only like nineteen or twenty when he left for Vietnam. It was nineteen sixty-six, I think. Yeah, uh, and so basically, with his situation, we ha- what we have the segment is te- is a missing persons. Because uh, he was actually involved in a helicopter crash on the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. That's in Vietnam. In Vietnam, yeah, yeah, separating yeah. North and South Vietnam, and it's uh, what we have is a very elongated segment because there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether he was actually killed in the crash or even on the helicopter when it crashed mm-hmm. uh, and so we get a situation where like his remains are sent back but they're so badly burned that like there's not really a uh, way to just identify them from sight mm-hmm. and his his family gets suspicious because it kind of seems like the the military is just sort of pressing this idea that he's, you know, he's been killed. Much like many of our small town sheriffs have have insisted that various deaths are suicides. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, we get a a situation where the family's trying to fight to to get some recognition that perhaps their their family member is possibly alive as a, a POW. Yeah, they and I think that happened in 1970. Newsweek published a photo about POWs that had someone who looked a lot like Mark. Right, right. I would say exactly like Mark. I don't fault the family at all for 
starting to raise questions. Oh, to- this, cause the, totally. Because the guy looks exactly like it's him. It's totally reasonable. This is like the, yeah. the opposite of like previous segments we've had where people are like, yeah. clearly the, this picture is a, and you're like, no, it's not. Yeah, no, this, yeah. The, if this guy was not Mark, which it, it, the, the, it's insistent, we, we get like some information that it was actually some uh, other Navy personnel. But mm-hmm. like, like you say, you can't fault the family because the resemblance is uncanny. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is like, what leads me to be really confused is like, what is, what is it that, the speculation is that happened was it that the helicopter crashed but he was alive and somehow was captured or that like he didn't get on the helicopter and he got captured through some other unreported means i i, I that's the one thing i couldn't quite grasp. yeah i don't i don't know that the family even is taking the tack that they have a theory they just have they feel like the Navy isn't sure about what sure enough about what happened to Mark to say that this is his body. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and that's fair. They, they kind of feel like may, if, that possibly it could just be a case where they've just received remains that were not his remains. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some, there's some pretty dope. Uh, the last time we had a Vietnam war segment though. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was that guy who lost his leg, right? Yes. With the nurse. Oh. Um, we get some pretty cool action reenactments with like choppers and. That's you know the first thing we saw was like so, uh, a helicopter flying past a watchtower. You know the thing about um, helicopter crashes is I actually have a very amusing helicopter crash story. Well, it's not amusing, but it's very interesting uh, that a coworker mm-hmm. told me. Based off, what was it, a family member of his from Vietnam? It like his uncle was a gunner inside a helicopter. Mm-hmm. They just arrived back at, at a base from wherever it is they had gone to, and this colonel comes running up, and he's got in his hand mm. a pistol. And he's wearing wow. three bandoliers of grenades. So three of those straps with grenades on it. <clears throat> and he runs up to the helicopter and he says, you got to get me to boondop. And the pilot was like, we're low on fuel and we don't have much yet. So the colonel arranges for the all the stuff to be refilled in the helicopter. And they then have to fly this guy out to the, the location he sighted. And apparently it was one mm-hmm. of those locations that was like under constant um, siege. And so as they're approaching, you know, they're taking fire and stuff. And they're still 10 feet above the, the ground uh, when the colonel jumps out of the helicopter, rolls on the ground, gets up and runs off to wherever I guess the commanding officer is presumed to be. Meanwhile, the their helicopter gets hit and the tail gets knocked off and they crash. And apparently my, my coworker said that his uncle always told him that the two most miserable weeks of his life in Vietnam was Mm. being stuck at that base, waiting for a replacement helicopter to come and fly them out of there. You know, I have, I have a story. I don't know. I just thought I'd share. Well, we're talking about, crashed helicopters no uh about a pilot in taiwan 
So when I was studying abroad in Taiwan years okay. ago, it's like 10 years at this point. Oh my God. Yeah, it was a long time ago. But anyway, um, we had a weekend where all of the... I was with a group of American students at a university there. We had a weekend where we did a homestay with a Taiwanese family. So we got adopted for the weekend. We all, we all went to their houses and saw how they lived, and they showed us things. Well, anyway, a friend of mine, uh, he, uh, he ended up with a family where the dad went by... Uh, dad introduced himself as... His name was Gas... And he was, you know, he was ex-Taiwanese ex, uh, military. And I think he was either a pilot or he, uh, he was a helicopter pilot. Anyway, so by the end of the weekend, my friend's dying to know, you know, what, wh- why do they call you Gas? And uh, this man, Gas, looked my friend dead in the eye and said, because it burns everything. Wow. That's, yeah. that's intense. Isn't it? (laughs) Um, So they dig up Mark's bones and they do some bone stuff. Uh, They like measure the lead. A physical anthropologist measures like the lead that's in his. Oh, um, in the segment. I I thought we were still with the time. Yeah, no, I'm pivoting. Okay, yes. Pivoting back to Mark Mark Dennis here. uh, So they dig up his bones and. There's a little anecdote about the dog tag uh, that's in the coffin. It was uh, sharp. brand new. Yeah, it was sharp. It cut um, his brother's uh, hand when he picked it up. But there was also bur- there's also burn marks on it. I like how, which was- it, but I got really distracted because it was after that, after them mentioning that, that they have a reenactment of someone putting the the dog tag in their hand and like squeezing it on all sides. It's like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, it was, that was a weird thing to reenact. <laughs> but they also show like somebody like measuring bones and basically they're saying like the bones weren't the same height as Mark would have been. Um, the dog tag was new, which is fine. That's what the Navy does when they send a body home is they issue a new dog tag if they can't find the original one. Um, but well, like, but why did they burn it? <laughs> so, so that, so that people would think it was the one from the, the crash. <laughs> um, so there's a bunch of little things that just like aren't adding up for uh, Mark's brother here. And um, there's another story of like Mark's friend from growing up, or he was in the same unit in the Navy or something. Um, say, saying running into somebody else who was on who was part of the recovery effort for the crashed helicopter saying that Mark was never even supposed to be on that helicopter. helicopter. It wasn't his unit. And, uh, there's no reason for him to be on it. There's just like, so there's like a bunch of stuff and and eyebrow raising and running in. They also run into a guy at a bar who claims. Yeah. Like in the 1980s, they run into a guy at the bar who says that he was a POW in Vietnam with a guy who went by the name of preacher. And, yeah, and Mark wanted to be a chaplain. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Mark's brother pulls out a picture from his wall, or his wife pulls out a picture from her purse or something saying, is this him? And then the guy at the bar was like, oh, yeah, that's the guy Yeah. that I was in the POW camp with. The guy who gave me a watch to make sure I gave it to his son. Yeah. <laughs> and then the guy from the bar, you know, put it up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to go there. That's okay. 
Uh, Connor, if you feel like doing something with that, go for it. Hit it. In one place he knew he could hide something, his ass. Five long years he wore this watch, up his ass. Then he died of dysentery. Give me the watch. I like, how, I like how we're using Connor as some sort of summoning wizard. I think he, I think he likes it. <laughs> okay. I think he likes being summoned like a genie. Like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Yeah, I was recently wa- listening to an old episode of the Viewmasters podcast, previously Archers uh-huh. of Horror. Uh-huh. They had a guest on, and she was like, she was saying something like, they were talking about the score of the film they watched, uh-huh. and uh, she was like, I don't know if you guys can put it in, and the, I, I, I think Ed Doherty was like, yeah, we can put it in. Really? And then, you know, they do the drop right then in, mm-hmm. in the episode. And she's like, how about the blah, 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 blah? And he does a drop for that. And then she does it again. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm, it feels like I'm watching a like sitcom where a teenage girl gets magic powers or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like Zach Morris. Using his time. time stop. Yeah. Rem- remember when, do you, do you remember the show Out of This World? I, of course I do. Yeah, I guess he would. Where her dad was in a cube. <laughs> right, right. And she put her fingers together and she could, like, freeze everybody. She in could freeze world. time. She had Sack Morris freeze time powers. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I okay, d- but was it out of this world? Then what was Small Wonder? Was Small Wonder, was she a robot? Small Wonder was the one where she was a robot. Okay. Because I don't remember what the girl looks like from Out of This World, but I remember what the girl looks like from Small Wonder. Small Wonder. You know, it's funny. Someone I worked with at one point, she uh-huh. posted a picture of a you know old family portrait from when she was like four or five or six years mm-hmm. old. And she's wearing the exact same dress as the Small Wonder girl oh, with like the pinafore and everything exactly wow I, I i found it so hilarious that i actually did some editing and i removed her from the picture and i put in the small <laughs> wonder girl and, wow and put it as a, a response comment to her facebook post she found it very yeah. amusing thankfully um can we go back to talking about out of this world though yes um i have a really like deep emotional connection to that show I'm really intrigued. Do go because, on. Uh, and I'm compl- I'm going off on this tangent because I just really don't care to talk about Vietnam any longer. Okay. Uh, but yeah, there was she. So I, I I felt like I had a lot in common with the the out of this world girl because like essentially she like her father wasn't in the picture. Mm-hmm. And but she had this cube where she could like talk to her dad on whatever planet he was on. Exactly. And, like, you know, I kind of related to that because my, you know, my dad died when I was, like, really young. And I just like to, I like to think about that there was, like, some cube. That you could like, talk to him with. Yeah. yeah. I, I just felt like that show was really relatable, relatable to me as a kid. I, you know, yeah, I, like, as soon as you started talking about it, I kind of had a feeling this is where, where you're going to go. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, that's, uh, I, I understand that that would really resonate. So, do you know who provided the voice of the dad on Out of This World? Oh, I don't know. Who was it? I don't know. Would it, oh. will it ruin it for you <laughs> if I do? No, I want to know who it is. Burt Reynolds. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's uncredited, but it's him. Is he? Yeah. 
I guess I guess I know. I I, I imagine. No, that totally tracks. I'm I'm re- I'm remembering that show, and I, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, hey, about this Vietnam guy thing, though. Yeah, I don't. Uh, they never resolved it, right? No, well, they kind of did. Unsolved Mysteries, basically, at the end of this, calls it case closed because the Navy comes back and does another analysis of the bones and says mm-hmm. it's got to be Mark. Um, they did some x-rays where they, x. They, I guess when you enlist, they x-ray your entire body for, it's basically like taking a dental record, but for your whole body in case you're, well, in case this happens, yeah. I guess. And um, they compared the vertebrae bones and the markings, like just how they're composed against the bones that were in Mark's grave versus uh, his intake x-ray, and they match exactly. So, so Unsolved Mysteries is pretty much saying, like, this is, this is case closed. Yeah. It was Mark. Yeah. But I, you know, I understand from the, the family's point of view why they, why they had their doubts. But it seems like in the face of all evidence, it probably was him. So. Man, it's. Um, I don't know that he's missing. <laughs> not Yeah, not really. I guess. It's, I think he's accounted for here. It's, it's all accounted for. Yeah. Well. Uh, there, was there anything in any of the reenactments you found interesting? Um, yeah, I mean, the guy in the... I mean, I liked all of them. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I sound like I'm stalling. <laughs> um, I, the, I only need to last for another 15 minutes and we can stop recording the episode. Uh, yeah, I liked all of them. I, I mean, it, definitely they, they spent a lot of time within the context of... The Unsolved Mysteries episode. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they spend the first 20 minutes of a, you know, 40 minute, 45 minute show talking about this. So. Right. Uh, I like that they threw some budget at it. I liked the Vietnam helicopter reenactments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that there was anything particular interesting other than what you already pointed out with the uh, grabbing the dog tags and like really squeezing them. <laughs> That was just a weird element to like it really reenact. St- it, yeah, it really stuck with me. It didn't make any sense. I, I feel like there was a disconnect between like second unit was shooting the dog tag scene and they had no mm-hmm. idea that uh, the people recording the interviews had got uh, footage of the one person saying that they cut him. And so the so when they were just when second unit was just recording the dog tags, like yeah, uh, just grab a hold of those dog tags. So. Really get on them. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Case resolved. We had an update in this episode about a piece of shit uh, named Kenneth Staten, who we remember from. It was a couple episodes ago on our timeline. Yes. Uh, you know, f- sexual psychopath piece of shit. Who, well, he's a child molester. Yeah. To be specific. Right. What kind of piece of shit he was. Yeah. Uh, um, got, and they, they caught his ass. They caught his ass and he be... But we already knew that. And he be dead. He be dead. Hey, you know what other uh, child molester is dead? <laughs> what other child molester is dead, Crystal? Breaking news, Jeffrey Epstein. Don't know if you heard. <laughs> no, it's funny. Uh, I ha- I had not. So, hmm. No one, no one had posted about that on my social media at all. I know it's like no one's talking about it. No one cares. Jeez. No one cares that 
you know, he committed suicide in his jail cell. Like, no one is talking about it. At all. Uh, Moving right along. (laughs) Mm. Hey, you know what I want to talk about, kind of, not really, uh, is the, uh, this Killer Casanova guy. God, it's like, when I saw this segment, the thought that ran through my head is, my God, this is like a psychopathic con Juan. Yeah, I I don't know that I love that. In the in the unsolved mysteries pantheon, uh, we've had a number of fraud segments. Yeah. About lonely middle-aged women getting taken for their money, and they've had these cute little names like Con Juan and Don Con and Sweetheart Swindler. Sweethearts, you know, all these little things. So now we've really upped the the ante. Now we're at Killer Casanova. I don't love that. Wait, they called him Killer Casanova? Well, that's what this, the this, uh, title of the segment is. Oh, God. I don't love it. Yeah, guys. that's... um. Damn. Because it makes him sound a lot mm, sexier than this whole entire case is. So, uh, this guy, uh, I don't remember his first name, but his last name is Caputo. Ricardo. Ricardo Caputo. Anyway, he's an Argentine national who has immigrated to the United States in 1970 at the age of 20. Um, he, uh, we have a really spooky reenactment of this guy that's all bloodied, like, walking up to this phone booth and, like, making a call to the police, basically turning himself in, uh, for the murder of, uh, Natalie... Brown, who was his at the time his fiance. It seems so this is I was just gonna say it seems like uh-huh. this guy manages to do a lot of escapes by turning himself in or something. It It's really counterintuitive. In fact, I actually re just to get the timeline right and understand what was going on, I actually yeah. rewound this segment a couple of times to just make sure I understood what was happening. So uh, so 1971, um he he makes the call to the police, he gets picked up. Uh, he's assessed uh, to, if he's competent or sane enough to stand trial. They somehow find out that he isn't mm-hmm. competent enough to stand trial, which really doesn't square with anything else that he does in the rest of the segment. Yeah. Because he seems fairly competent to me and and smart enough to like understand what repercussions are and how to manipulate people and so on and so forth, which is very different than the case that we covered. Uh, what would have been two episodes ago now with, uh, Johnny Lee Wilson. Oh yeah. 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 It's, it's, who absolutely should have been declared not competent to stand or enter guilty plea. Right. Yeah. Right. The justice system's so effed up. It seems like that- it's, it's so uneven. And I think, you know, it's, it's because it's run by humans. That's true. And we're all flawed, man. <laughs> anyway. Are, are you making the case for Skynet to just take over? Um, I'm Well, I'm pro-killer uh, asteroid. That's fair and enough. I, and I think I've been consistent in my views on that. Yeah, we, so. we might as well just start fresh over, right? Yeah, just end it. Because uh, <laughs> everyone is horrible. <laughs> So, poor Natalie Brown, she's murdered, um, the cops go to her parents' house, they find her dead on the kitchen floor, Detective Vance E. Rendell, uh, who, you know, he seems like a hard-boiled egg, but he's like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my 
Yeah. 150 years on the job. Um, We interview Natalie's brother. He really counterintuitively said that uh, Ricardo was like a nice guy. Natalie Brown's parents loved him. He was just, it was just smooth sailing. And then she was dead. And that's, that's really wild because usually there's some kind of like signs. Usually. I guess there weren't. Anyway, he ends up in a psychiatric facility where he runs into this 26 year old, uh, uh, psychologist, I guess. Yeah. Some sort of person who evaluates the mental health of people. Or as Tom Cruise would call them, a fraud. <laughs> I suppose so. Um, really, what Ricardo's problem is, he should have been taking his vitamins. <laughs> We're not afraid of Scientology on this program. Um, I'm a little bit afraid of it, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, Crystal, if they haven't gotten to, to Carrie and Ross yet, they're not. It's, we're gonna. It's gonna be a long yeah. time before they get to us. That's true. That's true. Um, they have a lot of people to get to. <laughs> uh, so there's a reenactment with this, I, and I'm so sorry I don't remember her name. Um, do you re- recall the psychologist's name? Oh, they spend a lot of time on her. And I, I remember thinking she looked a lot like Mary Steenburgen. Uh, yeah, the reenactress does. Well, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's like two consecutive episodes where you've had Mary Steenburgen, right? Um, or or two within the last. Is it possible that you just think every woman with curly hair looks like Mary Steenburgen? <laughs> it is entirely possible that I think every. Uh, thin, dark, ha- curly-haired woman with, you know, uh, a <clears throat> voice somewhere on the higher e- end of the median is, is in fact, Mary Steenburgen. Uh-huh. Why isn't Ted Danson in any of these segments? Because Ted Danson was on fucking Cheers <laughs> when this was being filmed. He was the biggest guy in town. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. Sorry, I don't know why I got so upset about that. <laughs> I no, it's okay. I know. I know how strongly you feel about Cheers. I, I I still fondly remember how you described how Cheers had more continuity between episodes than Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah, um, Judith Becker. Interesting Ted Danson connection because Ted Danson started in a show after Cheers called Becker. Becker. Mm, yeah, weird. I guess Does I it really, mean anything. I guess I really took your request for a name really off topic. Uh, so Judith Becker. Yes. She's a psychologist. Well, there's a really fun, I mean, as fun as this segment gets, there's a fun reenactment with, uh, her talking to Ricardo and like interviewing him and, and she's in the reenactment. She's explaining that they want to have some of these folks from the psychiatric facility start a garden. And the guy who's, um, playing Ricardo goes, I will grow you the biggest tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he really, um, really goes all out, right? Yeah, he really does. Well, uh, one thing leads to another. These two are hanging out. Judith finagles it somehow to get uh, Ricardo moved to a different facility where basically the inmates have coming and going privileges. Yeah, during they're the allowed to go outside. That struck me as crazy. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this is bad. Uh, so 
There's some insinuations by the cops that uh, Judith and Ricardo developed a romantic relationship. Jane, Judith's sister, says, no way. No way. They were just friends. And I'm just like, well, Judith, I mean, Jane, maybe Judith wasn't. Do you tell your siblings everything? I don't. I wouldn't. I don't tell my family everything. Oh, I try to. T- I, s- <laughs> I try. I try not to interact with my family as much as possible. Well, I'm just saying, maybe uh, Judith knows better than to tell her sister about this honestly horrifying proposition that she's been come involved with one of her patients, essentially. So. Right. Right. I have no doubt in my mind it was romantic. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay. They well, I mean, because they find um, Judith dead in her apartment with no clothes on, beaten to death, and Ricardo is nowhere to be found. God, he's such a piece of shit. He is such a piece of shit. Oh, but he's not done. Guess what? Now we're going to San Francisco. Oh man. We were in New York. Now we're in San Francisco. Well, he takes up with another woman there and murders her in much the same fashion. Gets away with it. Somehow, though, he turns up some months later. He's turned, and this part was confusing too. He's turned in by Mexican authorities at the border. Yeah. To uh, customs or border patrol or something. Right. Yeah. He's so he's he's an Argentine national who is given by the Mexican police to back to the United States. I gather that's what happened, and that but then like. Because he was being fingerprinted at the place, he knew it was only a matter of time before they figured out who he was. Yeah. And, and uh, go ahead. No, it's not. Uh, you, you want? Do you want to describe? It's it's a, the reenactment. Well, um, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Fine, I will. I will. I will describe it. So. Uh, Ricardo organize, uh, participates in a escape with several other detainees. They hold the one very elderly-looking guard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, hostage, and then they stab him or something? No, I don't think they kill him. Okay. They just get him, get him to let him out. And, yeah, and they get in the car, and they flee across the border to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, and Mexican authorities pick up everyone that escaped except Ricardo. Yes, unfortunately, because he made his way to Mexico City and and he, he and, and took up with another woman. And guess what happened, happened there? Yeah. Uh. So what does he get? Somebody else in the U.S. I believe so. He well, he, well, he was suspected of being involved in yet another murder of a woman named mm-hmm. Jacqueline Bernard. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the yeah, Jackie's uh, landlord in New York says that he saw Ricardo coming, and going. So basically, this guy's a fucking ser- serial killer. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Robbie, what happens? Yeah, he uh, turned himself in in 1994. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why we don't get, like, a sexy update. We just get a, like, white text update. Um, I would like to mention he was sentenced to 25 to life. Mm-hmm. And then he died two years after he got into prison of a heart attack while he was playing basketball. Not quite as satisfying an end as I would have liked, but no. I guess I'll take it. Yeah. Did you notice the age progression sketch of him? 
mm-hmm. in the segment looks like the most boring, generic white guy imaginable. Yeah, I don't know how you could have identified. I mean, this looks like Jeremy. <laughs> this looks like Jeremy Piven <laughs> in the nineties. <laughs> Jeremy Piven's like under the hot lights of a, a interrogation room. Yeah. Tell us how you killed her. I don't know what you guys are talking about. It looks like Jeremy Piven in, uh, what was that movie, Very Bad Things? That's what it looks like. Oh, Remember that? Yeah. Piece yeah. of trash? Yeah, that movie was a piece of trash. It's not good. Um, you ready to talk about UFOs? Yes. We got a sort of supernatural style segment. <clears throat> it's an unexplained. Ooh. Uh, it takes us all the way to the fabled Canadas, Vancouver, oh, the British Canadas. Columbia. Wow. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a, an occurrence that's apparently been going on since 1974. Mm-hmm. This woman named, was it Dorothy Izzat? Is that? Is, is that her name? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that is if that's her name. <laughs> um, before we get too into that, can we talk about the intro with Stack though? And he's with the, he's like in this gallery of pictures of. Oh yeah, they have a total her, night. Yeah, they they have a night gallery type setup. Yeah, where he's got images of all the images she's allegedly taken of these alleged UFOs. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess she didn't allegedly take them. She did take yeah, them. Yeah, we just were, oh, we just don't know what they're allegedly of. Of yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I feel like the room he's in is one that we've seen him in before. Mm-hmm. They've just, you know, they at one point, well, shooting several of these interstitials, they brought in some of those stand-ups. Mm-hmm. What, Dorothy Isaacs. That's her name. Isaac. Okay. And, yeah, uh, basically, she's allegedly seen stuff out her window... And she goes outside, and she takes pictures of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I don't remember. You know, that's basically what all the reenactments are like. Mm-hmm. She'll go out and do that. Mm-hmm. Someone will be over at her place, and mm-hmm. she'll go out and do that. Yeah, you know when they show one of these uh, uh, lightning clouds things? things. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Ghost Rider from that PBS show. Remember Ghost Rider? Oh, Ghost Rider! Yeah, we, it's like a Ghost the, Rider blob, like dot blob shape. <laughs> yeah, it goes. It, it writes stuff, and uh, I guess it, it promotes literacy or something. That's right. Um, I don't know. I I I I would know of the show. And I've seen like a couple of episodes, mm-hmm. but I was really more of the Carmen San Diego person. Yeah, so. well, they all came on in the afternoon, didn't they? Where in the world's Carmen San Diego? I think Ghost Rider came on right, right around that same time, either before or after it. Yeah, yeah. There must have been something on like network TV that would pull me away. Yeah, it was basically when- like the BK Kids Club learning to read with a ghost. <laughs> That's literally what it was. There's layers to that reference that you have to be a thousand years old to get. <laughs> <laughs> no, not a thousand. Just probably over 30, I think. Oh, we're so old. So old. There's like some 50-year-old right now that's just like cursing at us saying, you, don't, you guys don't know shit. 
Oh. I talked about breakfast at Tiffany's Boomer. Calm down. Okay. Oh, it's a real age war. It really is. I feel like the older I get, the madder I get at boomers, though. It's going in the opposite direction. I'm not like, kids get off my lawn. I'm like, boomers stop eating up all our social security money. That's the kind of cranky I'm getting as I get older. Actually, I feel exactly the same way. (laughs) Did you ever read uh, Boomsday by Christopher Buckley? I didn't. No, I didn't. Should I? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it, it's much in the same vein as his "Thank You for Smoking." Mm-hmm. It's kind of you know, it, it's very satirical. It takes it takes place in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the baby boomers are bankrupting the country mm-hmm. because they're you know they're collecting all their social security and Medicare. Mm-hmm. Everyone's having to pay taxes through the nose to pay for it, mm-hmm. and you know. It, it, and so finally, like, this politician rises to prominence mm-hmm. uh, because, like, basically the divisions in our country now run along age. And mm-hmm. she gets all the support of the younger people mm-hmm. because she uh, is proposing subsidizing euthanasia for mm-hmm. the, the elderly. And that candidate's name? Elizabeth Warren. Now, <laughs> I should read that book, but I'm afraid it might radicalize me more than I already am. God, I, you know, I, I don't. I think basically everyone in our age demographic just hates the baby boomers. It's true. Like, yeah, like you say, I have no animosity towards millennials or Gen Z. Or no, whatever. I really don't. I'm, man, Gen Z is going to save the world. They're they're getting. Look at what they're doing. They're getting rid of sexual harassment. They're not putting up with that. No way. Yeah. No way. <clears throat> they're not putting up with that. They're not putting up with uh, throwing trash into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. They're they're 13 years old. They're showing up and yelling at the UN. Yeah. Now they're going to save the world. These guys. What do you consider yourself to be, in terms of the age brackets? I mean, I guess technically I'm like an old millennial. That yeah. I was looking. I was looking it up, and we we fall into like the very oldest years of the millennials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the thing is, is I I don't feel really akin to most millennials. So yeah. there, there's, but I'm definitely not Gen X because I mm. I didn't see Reality Bites in the theaters or any. I don't. I don't. I don't think that's <laughs> the cultural marker, the only one. Well, I'm, that, I'm, that. I'm just using that as a shorthand. But I don't feel I don't feel Gen X. But the, uh-huh. there was an interesting term I came across on one website while looking all this up that I kind of feel, I kind of feel really comfortable describing myself as and it's like oh. it's basically a two-year span that that you know cover that sort of mm-hmm. covers this uh, in between the two things a zin mm-hmm. zinio x e and then i you know so on mm-hmm. i kind of feel like that's what i am i i oh, I, okay. I feel at some attributes of both sort of thing mm-hmm. but i'm not really a part of either which i guess is kind of Maybe much like my political uh, leanings yeah. or whatever. Anyway, um, I think. Well, I think like there, I'm in a unique position because I was an only child. Yeah. So most of the people that I was hanging out with were adults or older kids. Oh. And they would have probably fallen well into like Gen X. Yeah. So I think culturally, like, I'm more Gen X. I definitely have that vibe. 
okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have that. I won't, I won't argue about that. You. I can give you. I the, recently there was a thing going around on Twitter, which was like, "What's the most Gen X thing you've done?" And I had a few examples. What What were your examples? Were I want to hear. Um, one of them was how <laughs> I wrote for the my high school's newspaper. And I wrote an article about how um, all these all ages music clubs in Seattle were like shutting down. So I was like, "That sounds very Gen X." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was writing basically like a like an elegy for uh, the closure of all ages music clubs in Seattle. Wow. You know, I think if you remember it, a, like a good chunk of your life before the internet. If you can clearly remember before that, I mean, I didn't have a, I didn't have like. The internet as we know it didn't exist until like my last year of college. Right, right. If you know, as far as being able to like research things online, (laughs) there being like a functional search engine that you could (laughs) quote Google things on didn't exist until like two thousand. Hey, web crawler was a perfectly legitimate way to find someone's GeoCities. Tron fan site with all three mm. of the Tron fan fictions they wrote. Wow, I maybe I just maybe my 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 search engine kung fu was like never very good, but I, I feel like there was definitely a time where I'm like, why are we even on the internet? This is lame. Yeah. I can't find anything. <laughs> oh yeah, no, totally. I remember. Which is also feels like a very Gen X way to be. <laughs> that is totally. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's fair. Like you have a Gen X sort of experience. If, like, yeah. using the internet is a frustrating experience for you. Mm-hmm. I remember going to the public library uh, <laughs> before my before my guitar lessons. <laughs> and I would read the Utney Reader. I don't know that it gets more Gen X than that. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Um, should we talk about uh, Dorothy's light photos? So how do you think she was faking it? <laughs> I don't. Because <laughs> like I don't, I don't think she was. I think there's pro- there was probably something screwy with her um, camera. Yeah. Yeah, because the, at the yeah, I, I don't think she was faking anything. Okay, so she sincerely believes she just has a messed up camera. Yes. It's a, it, it like there's something wrong with the exposure and it's just causing all this yeah. the, these squiggly white. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Well, they they have the guy from the the Brooks Institute, which is a photography uh, school, say, "I know how you could fake this, but y- you can't do this accidentally." Right. And so I'm thinking, well, there, maybe there was something with her camera mm-hmm. that she didn't know about, because there is a way to do that. Um. The end result, I think, is that she has some images that are really beautiful abstracts. And as an artist, I think she's really achieved something. Yeah, you know, like a couple of the uh, the slides, I'll have to take some screenshots and put them up. A couple of the, the images, they kind of remind me of Tron. Oh, definitely. They're really, I mean, if they're even if they're unintentional, they're really cool. Yeah, you know, Dorothy, I, I guess she seems earnest. Um, but yeah, like at the very end of the segment, Robert Stack mentions that they had like a crew there and she was showing some Mm -hmm. lights and she recorded some stuff and they recorded stuff too. And Hearst came back with all the squiggly lines and then like their unsolved mysteries footage came back and Robert Mm -hmm. Stack 
he sort of nicely puts it like, there was definitely some sort of distant light. <laughs> mm. Yep. Man. Um, this is. I can hear the crick. I can hear the crickets at your house. Oh. oh yeah. Sorry, I have the window open. I probably should. No, it's fine. It's like really relaxing. I hope everybody's finding it as relaxing as I am. This is. I can you hear the crickets at my house? Um. Hold on. Hold on. Let me shove my other earbud in. Uh huh. I can hear one. There's one right outside. The, I have also have my window open. God. One right outside it. You know, maybe I need to get better headphones. I can't really hear uh, what's going on at your place. Mm, mm. <laughs> this yeah, is it's a it's a warm late summer night. There's a dog barking. There's crickets. It's cool breeze kicking up. Yep. Just uh. Th- Can hear uh. Yep. There's an LAPD helicopter. <laughs> just just uh relaxing. One of those last days of summer. Yep. Just standing, standing at the edge of the apocalypse. Yep. Aren't we? And we still have four more minutes until we have even an hour. <laughs> this is the this is the shortest episode. Like we've had like the least to say about the actual episode here. I think maybe of any episode we've had so far. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess. Uh, sorry, folks. I mean, this just wasn't a really interest. This was not an interesting UFO segment. I I, I feel kind of conned by it i mean uh if i had seen this as a kid i've been like eh, they didn't really depict any ufos they didn't depict any scary ufo experiences no one got abducted no one got something put in their butt uh, yeah did did unsolved mysteries ever actually like depict the abductions ever i don't feel like i feel like that was like uh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Crystal, <laughs> you are... That's White Claw, baby! You, White Claw! You are a hero. Thank you. <laughs> you know, this episode was really floundering, but I feel like you just saved it. Thank you. Who listens to this show, anyway? I, I'm assuming... I don't know. I'm assuming... I don't know. I'm assuming most people who tune in, they just... They do. They tune in on the radio <laughs> to listen to this. Yeah, yeah. When they're listening to it, to it on on the di- on the internet radio, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's much the same reason why I listen to podcasts at work. It just it makes the unbearable stretch of time go that much quicker. Mm-hmm. So I I hope that we've been helping you folks get through your horrible work days. Do, do you, I guess I guess you probably don't have as much chance to listen to podcasts during your job, right? Because you got to focus. I, I I do. I squeeze it in, but I also have a lot of traffic. I get to sit in, so that's mostly when my podcast uh, what, what, time is. What, what, what's what's yeah. regular in your podcast? Uh, what am I listening to? These well, Doughboys always. Okay. Uh, I just recommended that to somebody too at work, so hopefully they don't think I'm a monster <laughs> after having listened to it. Um, <laughs> You know, greatest generation. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, podcast about uh, Star Trek, like that. Everything that those guys are doing, I usually listen to. I've been listening to Why Won't You Date Me? It's hosted by Nicole Byer. It is filthy as hell, but I love that woman. Uh, what? So what? What is it? Just sort of like 
a dating podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's about relation. It's like you know, basically what we do to fill the time. We just talk about bullshit, but yeah. it's more focused on like relationships, relationships, and okay, and dating. I'll, I'll, and why won't somebody date Nicole Byer? She's single. Everyone. Um, not my type. Well, you know, she's an acquired taste, but I, I would date her, and I think maybe that's the issue. It's the people who would date her are gay men and straight women. Um, let's see. Also, been listening to Always Criminal, Ninety Nine Percent Invisible. Those are the big ones. I don't think they need any press from me, though, since everybody knows about those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have anything you want to plug besides our own podcast? At the end of this. Uh, like you, I listen to Greatest Gen as well as their war movie podcast, Friendly Fire. It's a hell of a combination. I guess maybe I should. I should probably. Uh, go ahead and tell our listeners my plan, which is because Friendly Fire, in addition to being hosted by the host of The Greatest Gin, also has John Roderick as a host. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I'm going to do a John Roderick cosplay. Great. Because uh, they always joke about how he's watching the, fil the, the films they review in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take a bubble bath. Mm-hmm. Uh, get a red knitted hat, mm -hmm. some black rimmed glasses, mm -hmm. set up my phone so it looks like I'm watching a movie, get some mm -hmm. World War II books, eat, eat out of a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, mm -hmm. and uh, then make an 8x10 out of it and send it to Adam and Ben. <laughs> they are going to hate that, so you should definitely do it. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Hey, but so yes. Uh -huh. Oh no, I just I, I just want to list my other podcasts. Real quick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Purple stuff podcast uh -huh. hosted by Dinosaur Dracula. Uh, he, him, and this friend Jay. Uh, such a great nostalgia podcast, and occasionally they they mention unsolved mysteries. Uh -huh. Like I think they had the unsolved mysteries theme on their spookiest Halloween soundtrack mm -hmm. picks. Uh, I, as I mentioned, I like Viewmasters, formerly known of, as Archers of Horror. If you, it's a podcast not so much about reviewing movies and TV as uh, it is Ed Doherty uh, slowly, gradually over each episode relating the ever-losing battle he has to fight the balding spot on the back of his head. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sounds like a existential crisis podcast, kind of. Yeah, you know, he he, he, he like, I, I kind of feel, I think part of the reason I like it so much is I just feel this affinity for him because I see certain similarities and just mm -hmm. like how his life goes and how my life goes. Uh, it's, I mean, when I laugh at the horrible things that happen to him, it's because I just, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, I've been there. Um, I listen to the History of Byzantium podcast. Uh, great if you're interested in the Eastern Roman Empire. And uh, five, 538 podcasts. Mm -hmm. Gotta get my politics, Phil. You have a, a really uh, diversity of tastes. Yeah, I and I kind of like go through these phases where like I might spend a whole week just listening to the entire history of the Eastern Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. And I reach a point where I'm like, okay, I can't listen to this anymore. So then I, I put on Archers, uh, Archers of Horse slash Viewmasters. Mm -hmm. 
and then uh, then I start plugging in some uh, Purple Stuff podcasts. I think it's more just about like changing things up, uh, uh, doing things just just to distract me from the fact that I'm I'm working a job or I'm out in hundred degree degree weather and going through like fucking swamps and stuff. Mm. You know what's uh what's pretty swampy right now? Our Twitter feed. That's not what I was gonna say, but that was a great segue. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, if you want to t- reach out and touch us, <laughs> <laughs> we're on Twitter. We're at Reenacted Pond. Uh, there's the the Facebooks. Um, let's yeah. see what else do we got going on. We got uh, the emails. Reenactedpod at gmail Leave us a five star review. Uh, maybe not for this specific episode, but just in general would be great. And yeah, this was not a five star. That's not a five star episode, but not everything can be five stars, you guys. We're trying. We're you know we work yeah. with the material that we're given. Yeah, okay. I, I think I think it was a five star performance actually, but it's right. just we didn't we didn't really have any material to work with. I think that I think that belch I had really took it from four yeah, to five. That, that was the fifth star. My mom is going to be so embarrassed. I'm going to get an email about that. You realize that? M- mother will email me. Can, you are not the, perfect on your podcast, young lady. Does your mom know that I've been like all the times I've interacted with her on our SoundCloud account through the podcast uh-huh. that I had, I didn't realize it was her. I, I was just like, I don't oh, know that got, my we... mom doesn't realize that she's not interacting with me personally when she leaves those comments. Oh, Okay. I think she thinks it's like substitute Facebook. So she's just like saying things to me. Yeah, I used and not to think to the podcast. I used to think that we just had this really helpful fan in Montana. Yeah, that's my mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was like, gosh, I, yeah. For 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 a couple of years now, I was like, man, she's really making sure that we get our facts straight and stuff. No, that's mo- that's mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mother up in Montana. Um, yeah, well, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? Join us next week for another edition of Unsolved Mysteries.